podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable, hosted by Kevin DeVries, on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two for the podcast. Today is Monday. It is December 4th. Hope you're all well. Three weeks to Christmas. Hope you're all started on your shopping and not going to leave it till Christmas Eve. That's the mark of a person who's not all there because you've got to go and deal with the lunacy that takes place on Christmas Eve everywhere. Get your shopping done now, folks. Trust me. Right. Let's get into the weekend's games. We had 10 of them. There was madness in at least three of them. Absolute madness. And one very notable result that's probably going to lead to somebody losing their job this week. We'll start off with Brentford versus Luton. Brentford three, Luton one. Neil Mopé, his second goal of the season. Good to see him finally ending that big long drought that he'd had with these two goals. And he is providing good value 
on this loan for Brentford because he's always been hardworking. He's the type of centre forward who occupies defenders and he's probably a nightmare to play against because he's really hardworking. He's very niggly. There's a lot of needle with him. He loves the physical side of it. And then he's also very good at drawing fouls and stuff. So uh, Neil Mopé doing a very good job there for Brentford. Ben Mee scored their second. Jacob Brown did pull one back for Luton, but Shandon Baptiste, after a bit of a scuffly uh, mess in the Luton area, managed to toe poke home their third. That's a really good win for Brentford, obviously, against a newly promoted team, a game they were expected to win. But considering some of their recent performances, it wasn't a shoe-in that they would win it. So they get three points. That actually lifted them into the top half uh, for a night, at least. But overall, considering no Ivan Tony, I think if you'd said to Brentford, 14 games, you'll win five, you'll draw four, and you'll have a positive goal differential. I think they'd have been really happy. I think they would have been really happy. Because Ivan Tony's not just their main goal scorer, he's also their best player. And we're seeing with certain other teams, including the defending champions, you take the best player out of any team and it's going to have a a big effect. So I think Brentford will be chuffed with how things have gone so far. For Luton, I'm not sure this was one they would have expected to go and win because Brentford are generally very good at home. They did give up three goals, but they put up a pretty good showing for themselves. They did cause Brentford some problems. Right now, there's still two points outside the relegation zone. Now, obviously, we know that that's because Everton had the 10-point deduction. But Luton lived to to fight another day outside the the Premier League's drop zone. And they're just continuing to play their football. Like, they're, they're doing what they do. And I do admire that. I do admire the fact that Rob Edwards and, and the club have come up. They've been completely unapologetic about their approach. We know that what they did with their Premier League money was build a team for next season's championship with the view of, look, we're probably going to go down because they needed everything. Like coming up, they needed an entire new team if they really wanted to stay in this division. But what they've done is they've come up, they've added a bunch of good championship caliber players, some of whom are doing well in the Premier League, it obviously has to be said. But it puts them in a great position if and when they go down. Now, the thing is, they also figured out we play a brand of football that nobody really likes to play against. Nobody's going to enjoy playing Luton this season. Certainly, they'll get walloped a couple of times. As yet, they haven't been absolutely trounced. But someone will wallop them at some point, and probably a couple of times, because it happens to all newly promoted teams. But the whole thing is, maybe, just maybe, things will break our way, and maybe we can scrape together enough points to survive. And if we do, then going into year two, then we can afford to go and spend more money on trying to get a year three in the league. But if we don't, we haven't overextended ourselves. 
we haven't spent beyond our means. In fact, what we've done is we've banked a whole lot of cash, which is going to come in real handy because they're going to be looking to build a new stadium in the next couple of years. We're setting ourselves up well so that if we do go down, we'll be in a strong position to come straight back up. There doesn't seem to be any pressure on the manager. Now, I'm I'm assuming that barring some sort of 10-game losing streak where they get trounced a bunch of times, he's probably had a conversation with the owners pre-season about the next three to five years for the club and what that looks like. And they've probably come to an agreement of, yes, the likelihood is we're not staying up, but that doesn't put Rob Edwards' job under pressure. What that does, it is allow it allows him to continue to build to be true to what he wants and what he believes in, his style of play, to build a culture at the club, not the type of culture we see among fan bases. I'm talking about culture in the group. They seem like a really strong, connected group that play together. And huge credit for that does have to go to previous managers, but I do think he in particular has had a big, big role in that. So he took over under strange circumstances where Nathan Jones had obviously walked out for the second time mid-season, gone off to live his Premier League dreams. And Rob Edwards, who'd been cast off by Watford, was seen as a bit of, oh, that's a strange pick. He's come in, he's done an incredible job, and everybody's rallied together. They got promoted. And this season, they, they do seem to have a really strong mentality, where even when the game is away from them, they're still going. They're not giving up. Not once this season have I seen a single loot in the head drop. Not once. And that's a really positive sign. So, yeah, I think they are ultimately going to get relegated. That's my been my prediction since preseason. But I do feel like for the long-term future of the club, this season is going exactly as they want it to go. Because they're showing that they can match teams in the Premier League. They can cause everybody a little bit of trouble. No one wants to play them. No one's looking forward to it. And they're getting valuable experience for some of the younger members of this squad who they'll be thinking if we go down and come back up for the 25-26 season, the experience gained in this season will prove Really, really important. Um, Brentford end the weekend in 11th, Luton end in 17th. Moving on. Arsenal 2, Wolverhampton Wanderers 1. But Kyle Saka on six minutes, Martin Odegaard with a well-worked goal on 13. The Saka one had a little bit of fortune and some very, very poor defending. But the Odegaard goal was was lovely and really well-worked. Um, and after that, I mean, it was a, a very straightforward game for Arsenal. Wolves missing a couple of key players, most notably, obviously, Pedro Neto. And I do feel like if they'd had him, they really could have gotten at this Arsenal team because there are large gaps in this Arsenal team. When Rice plays the six because he doesn't have the positional and tactical discipline and wants to kind of pick the ball up and move forward with it, it does leave gaps between midfield and defence. 
And that's the type of area that Neto has really been thriving in this season. Eight assists for Pedro Neto in like less than 900 minutes this season. And a lot of it is picking that ball up in that space between defence and midfield. And when he's driving at a defender, there's very little they can do. Like 1v1, he's pretty much unstoppable right now, or he was before the injury. I think if they'd had him with Cunha, because that combination are, are just so exciting and so electric, I do think they could have caused Arsenal a lot of problems, but Arsenal would probably have been more disciplined. Now, Wolves did get one back in the 86th minute through Matthias Cunha. You did think maybe they're going to sneak something here, but then Eddie Nketiah actually missed a big chance uh, hitting the post for what should have been a third goal to wrap things up. So Arsenal are top of the league, and they'll be very, very pleased to be in that position. Now, of course, they were top of the league last season um, after 14 games, and it's notable that they are four points worse off this season than they were last season, despite a similarly straightforward run. I would actually argue that last season they probably had a tougher first 14 games than they've had this season, but it is what it is. Uh, They are top, and that's all they can really expect. Uh, For Wolves, they are 13th. That is now three defeats in four, but there is some positive news on the horizon with the return of Neto, and I think in January we might see Gary O'Neill back to bring in a couple of players as well, because the ownership situation has been a little bit chaotic. Um, There's been a lot of talk about whether or not they're still invested in the club. They made a, a big point of coming out after the transfer window and sort of explaining why they hadn't been able to spend a huge amount. And one of the big part of it was they had commitments due for Cunha and for Triore, and they'd also spent in January to to back Lopetegui. So that was a big part of it. They were up against the FFP wall. I think in January we'll see them spend to some extent. I don't think it'll be they're not going to spend a hundred million, but they might spend forty to fifty. And Gary O'Neill should be able to add two, maybe even three good young players to this group. I think a centre-back is absolutely high on the agenda. One blow, they did lose Jose Sa in that game yesterday to injury, so we'll have to see how that plays out moving forward uh, because they really can't afford to be without him. They have been linked to Ramsdale, funnily enough, of late. I don't know if that's the right move for them, but I, I think they may want to look into getting at least... A, a very high-profile young goalkeeper, a high-talent young goalkeeper that they can maybe develop behind Sa to take over in 18 months, that might be the play for them. But all things considered, like, considering pre-season, there were a lot of concerns about Wolves with the whole Lopetegui thing. I do think they'd be happy enough with where they are. Like, they're eight points clear of the relegation zone. And I know things are tight down at the bottom. There's only, you know, from Chelsea on 19, who are 10th, to Bournemouth on 13, who are 16th. Like, that's that's a very tight group. But the most important factor is the gap then to the other teams, to your Lutons, your Everton's, your Burnley's, and your Sheffield United's. And Fulham, or sorry, Wolves, rather, uh, they're in a a pretty strong position to to stay in the division. 
And that's really the only mandate they're going to have this season is to stay in the division. Because, as I mentioned, they didn't get to spend huge amounts in the summer. They did spend some money, but obviously that was mitigated by the fact that they sold Ruben Neves, which kind of, I, I wouldn't imagine their net spend was more than 20 million, maybe. Let's have a quick look. Uh, transfers in Cunha. They spent 54, 65, 80. Mm, to be fair, they spent nearly kind of about 85 million. And uh, they did sell Matthias. Actually, to be fair, they sold Matthias Nunes and they sold Nathan Collins and Connor Cody and Raul Jimenez. So they did actually make a significant profit in the summer. I'd say they've also probably gotten some decent loan fees, loaning out the likes of Mascara and Goncalo Guedes. But when we factor in that they also spent in January, let's see, in January they spent 10, 20, 25. They spent about 40 million in January. So over the two windows, they probably did about break even and i think they'll spend again uh come come this january or at least i hope they will to, to back a manager who i think has done a, a really good job in gary o'neill um moving on burnley five sheffield united nil this is probably the end for paul heckenbottom and john percy has reported that it is expected that they will part ways now they're playing wednesday night so this is a tough time to make a change. You've got a game on Wednesday, then a game again on the weekend. And they're playing Liverpool on Wednesday night, and then they're home to Brentford on the weekend. But with all this out there, Gar- uh, Paul Heckenbottom has to know that he's getting the sack. The issue for them is that after Brentford, they go Chelsea away, Aston Villa away, then Luton home, and then Man City away, you almost think, are they better off waiting? Just getting through these six games, which, like, let's be honest, how many points are we expecting them to take? I would estimate four. I think they could get a point at home to Brentford, and I think they can beat Luton home. I wouldn't give them any chance at all of getting anything off Liverpool, Chelsea, Villa, or Man City. So, with or without Heckenbottom, what is really going to change there? I don't know that a new manager bump will be enough with this run of games. You're nearly better off waiting and trying to get it when you've got Sheffield, obviously you've got West Ham home, Palace away, Villa home, different animal to Villa away, then Luton home. You'd nearly be better off trying to get your new manager bounced through those games You've also got Brighton home and then Wolves home, or Wolves away. Brighton home is a game you could maybe get a point in. Wolves away, you could maybe go there and get something. This next group of games, I just don't see it for them. I think best case scenario, regardless of who the manager is, is probably four points. But it's got to be hard for Heckenbottom if they were to say to him, look, we, you know, we're going to hang on to you until for another while anyway, and we, we'll see. Like That's... He knows he's going to get sacked at some point. But credit to him, he turns up, he does his work, he does his job. He's doing the best he can with what he's been dealt. 
But they were dealt a hammering by Burnley at the weekend. Jay Rodriguez, Jakob Brun Larsen, uh, Ziki Amdoni, Luca Kolioshu, who's so exciting, and a really nice strike from Josh Brownhill to give them the win. Ollie McBurney sent off on the stroke of half time because he's just an idiot. Like he's just an idiot. He gets booked for jumping and leading him with his elbow. And you think, right, you're actually really fortunate to stay on the pitch because that was a horror show. That was an actual horror show, that first one, on 37 minutes. Then O'Shea gets booked a minute later and you think, that's a little bit of payback there. But you think, right, McBurney now needs to settle himself down. And seven minutes later, he's throwing his elbow into O'Shea again. And he's getting himself sent off. And it was only 2-0 at that point. And at 2-0, you still have a chance. Alex Ferguson used to say 2-0 is the most dangerous lead in football. 1-0 is really the most dangerous lead in football. But he used to say 2-0 because at 2-0, teams will often get complacent. This was a 1-0, you're more likely to stay focused and be diligent. But at 2-0 you can let that drop. And if the other team get a couple of quick goals, all of a sudden the whole momentum of the game goes towards them. But he just gets himself sent off and and that's it, game over. And Burnley, to their credit, put them to the sword second half. And it was good to see from a Burnley perspective that they did go ruthlessly for the throat and not just lay off because there's been games recently where they've been ahead and let up. So Burnley win. It's only their second win of the season. It helps their goal difference massively. They go from minus 22 to now minus 17, uh, which is a bit more respectable. Uh, They're level in points with Everton. They're two points behind Luton, six points behind Bournemouth. And that's where they need to be aiming, is Bournemouth. Like, you've got to try and keep pace with Bournemouth, Bournemouth and the likes of Forest. And if you can, the teams above that. Fulham, Wolves, Palace, etc. Big, big win for Burnley. Big, big lift for the club. Should raise some of the expectations within the club, within the playing staff of what they're capable of. Should lift some of the pressure off Vincent Company. They absolutely needed that win. Two more teams that needed wins in our next game. Nottingham Forest versus Everton. I, I don't really know how... Everton won this game because neither team played particularly well, but Forrest were the better of the not playing well teams. Now, in credit to, to Everton, they scored the only goal of the game and they had another one cleared off the line. Um, Murillo doing very, very well to clear off the line from a Dwight McNeil shot. And it was Dwight McNeil who scored the only goal of the game. And this is a typically typical Dwight McNeil moment where he sort of loafs into the box at the back post takes a touch, and it's just, from a technical point of view, it's picture perfect. The technique, the strike, the angle of the ball, it's just, it's a really, really good goal. And uh, and he's a really good player. As I've been saying for a long time, he's a really good player. The only question mark over Dwight McNeil is, is often application. But I think that's often unfair. I think because of how he plays, and his gait, he often looks like he's not fully going at 100%. But I think that just is him at 100%. I, 
I would nickname Dwight McNeil slow-mo. Because even when he's sprinting, it looks like he's moving in slow motion. And he does everything very deliberately. The technical level is absolutely elite. It's that lack of pace that holds him back. If he had if he had elite pace, he'd be playing for a top four club. Because he's a great dribbler. He's a great passer. He's an incredible crosser of the ball. He strikes the ball beautifully. He's very good from set pieces. He works like an absolute dog. It's the lack of elite level pace and the lack of any real pace, if we're being honest. Like, if he gets moving over distance, then he can really travel. What what I love about him is how he changes his speed, how he changes his tempo, because he knows he's not going to run away from everybody. So what he'll often do is he'll slow himself right the way down. Not to compare them as players, because... They're nothing like each other as play- well. There's some similarities, but they're not like each other as players. And there's a huge gulf in the the caliber of the players. But the way he carries the ball reminds me a little bit of Juan Carlos Valeron, who had varying levels of speed he could move at, but all of them were slow. But yet he could still outpace the defender by changing his pace as he was moving, by slowing down and then speeding up and gaining himself maybe a two to three yard lead on his defender. Then they get back to him and he'd slow it right down again. He'd use his body really well. And McNeil does stuff like that, not to the same level, not to the same extent, and obviously in different areas of the pitch because he plays wide, whereas Valeron played as a 10. But he has that aspect of his game, which is really beneficial for him in creating space. Now, he's currently playing opposite Jack Harrison. And Harrison and him do overlap in in some ways, but both of them have a great technical level. And, like, I look at that Everton team, and I still can't figure out how they're this bad. Now, they've won. They've won a game. And, look, if it wasn't for the points deduction, to be fair to them, they'd be 12th. They would be 12th. So Everton would be having what we would describe, I think, as a pretty good season if it wasn't for the points deduction. But even at that, I'm still sort of left wondering how it is that they've needed this recent run where this is their fourth win, I think fourth win in six games or seven games. I'm just wondering how it was was they had such a poor start because there's a lot of good players. Now, it's partly Deitch's fault because he keeps using Ashley Young when they've got a better right back sat on the bench. But like, there's, a, there's a lot of good players in this team. Tarkovsky and Brantwaite have performed a really, really good pairing. Michael Enko's having a tremendous season. McNeil and him now have developed good chemistry. Harrison's playing pretty well. Garner's a good player. is a very effective player. They've got Onana to come back in. They've got Calvert-Lewin to come back in. They've got Arnaud Danjuma sat on the bench. They've got Ben Godfrey sat on the bench. Like Everton have a, a 13, 14, 15 man group that really should never have any relegation concerns. But it's something in the water there, in the mentality there, that ends up causing them to go on these longer runs that they have where, where they don't win anything. You know, they end up getting one point from a possible 20 or 21. That's the type of thing that hurts Everton. There's no reason that they should ever have been in a relegation scrap. 
But credit to Dyche. He'll keep them up this year, even with the points deduction. Now, if another points deduction comes, that could that could kill them. Because it's one thing getting it once and fighting back from it. It's another thing if someone if they get hammered again. Like let's say that they do get another 10 points and they get dropped to minus three. And they're looking at it and thinking, we should have 17 points and we've got minus three. And now, instead of being 12th where we should be, we're bottom, and not just bottom, but we're 12 points from safety. Like, that type of psychological blow can be massive. As it is from the first one, they've responded really well. From when the news broke that they were going to get the points deduction, they've responded really well. They beat Bournemouth. They beat West Ham. They got a draw against Brighton. They beat Crystal Palace. They've now beaten Forest. That's really good. Really, really good. Remember, they also went and they beat Brentford away. And But you look at those results and you compare them to, you lost at home to Luton. You lost at home to Fulham. You lost at home to Wolves. You drew with Sheffield United. Like, I don't mind when you lose to Arsenal. Don't mind when you lose to Liverpool or United. Now, you shouldn't be losing 3-0 to United. And to their credit, they played okay in that game. But, you know, you really shouldn't be losing at home to Luton. That's the type of result that's just very Everton. But I do think they're going to stay up. I I had them picked to, to go down, and I was wrong. They're a better team than I thought they were. It's not that... And it's not that... They, I, I knew they had good players, but good players doesn't always equate to a good team. But Dyche is turning those good players into a good team. And, you know, I should have guessed he would because I've always been a fan of Sean Dyche. When he was Burnley manager, I used to laud him on this podcast. So, you know. Uh, for Forrest, <clears throat> that's three defeats on the bounce and four defeats in five. No, sorry, it's not. They won... It is three defeats in a row, isn't it? Yeah, they lost to West Ham. They lost to Brighton and they lost to Everton. They beat Villa four games ago. That seems like, it doesn't seem like it's that long ago. Um, I'd imagine pressure is starting to build a little bit on Steve Cooper now. They've got Fulham away next, then then Wolves away. They're not a very good away team. Then they get Spurs home. Then Bournemouth home. I think Steve Cooper's going to have to start getting some points. Now, look, I said this to Guy on Friday. They sack him. He's in another job within a month if he wants to be. If Burnley were to sack company, I think they'd go for Cooper. Sheffield United would go for Cooper. I think Palace would take him in a heartbeat. I think if Bournemouth decided to make a move, which I don't think they will because they've really turned things around. Uh, I think he'd be on their list. Steve Cooper is a really good manager. But right now he's he's not doing a very good job. And that's going to need to improve. Um, Newcastle won Manchester United nil. I, I don't know how this ended 1-0. I, I don't know how Newcastle didn't win by three or four. Is there any, any takeaway I had from that game? Newcastle battered them. It, this was a very one-sided game. Uh, United were not good, not good at all. Rashford 
is in dreadful form. Much of it goes on the manager. Why are you playing Rashford left wing to fit Garnacho in rather than just playing Garnacho right wing? Garnacho is not a better left winger than Marcus Rashford. And Marcus Rashford is a shell of himself playing on the right. I also don't understand how it is that in the year of our Lord 2023, Anthony Martial is still getting game time for Manchester United. I really, really do struggle to grasp that. Other things I'm struggling with. Why are you playing a right back at left back when you've got a left back playing centre back and another left back on the bench? And why are you playing a left back at centre back when you've got two centre backs on the bench? Like there's there's no logic to a Luke Shaw Harry Maguire centre back pairing with Wan Bissaka and Delo flanking them. There's no logic to that at all. This is not a good manager. And this is not a manager with a plan. They've played five top half teams this season. And they've lost to all of them. All of them. And it's not like they're even hugely competitive in these games. The Arsenal game, they were pretty competitive in. But they weren't competitive here. They weren't competitive against Brighton. They weren't competitive against City. Like, this is not a good team. There's a lot of good players, but it's not a good team. And they play Chelsea next on Wednesday night. Now, Chelsea are just about a top-half team. United have to win that game. Then they play Bournemouth. Then they've got Bayern. And if they don't beat Bayern, they're out of the European Cup. Then they go to Anfield. Then they go to the London Stadium. Then they play Villa. That's a horrible run over Christmas. They do get Forrest away then after that, and they'll expect to win that. And they got their usual cushy uh, third-round FA Cup draw. And we'll talk about the draw after the break. But, like, that's... United, they've, they've got to get something from this Chelsea game. And then they've got to beat Bournemouth. Because I'm seeing a loss to Bayern, a loss to Liverpool, at best a draw away to West Ham, probably a defeat, and I think Villa will beat them. I don't know that Eric Ten Hag is going to be Manchester United manager come the third round FA Cup game. I really don't. They are so, so poor. They're really poorly coached. Toon, on the other hand, really well coached. Really, really well coached. Newcastle are sixth. They go above Manchester United with that win. They've now won three of four. They are now five points, sorry, three points off the top four. And uh, and closing, closing in, looking like the team that we saw last year. Gamerish is back to playing at an exceptionally high level. And there was a lot of talk pre-game about Kobe Manu. And he does look a player. Like, there's no doubt he does look a player. But it's worth pointing out, his team have been outplayed in both games that he started. Whereas Lewis Miley, playing for Newcastle, 
like he's not getting even a fraction of the same level of hype. And for me, I think he looks a considerably more mature player, despite the fact he's only 17. I think Lewis Miley looks like a hell of a prospect. Toon, in my view, have a very special player on the hands because it's not just about the physicality, which is good, the ball-playing ability, which is good. It's the brain. It's the choices he makes. It's how mature he looks. He doesn't look like a 17-year-old. I don't think Lewis Miley is getting the hype because people just are overlooking the fact that he's 17. He won't even turn 18 until May. This is a, a child who's out there playing. And yet he doesn't look like a child. He's playing like a grown man. As the biggest compliment you can give him, he doesn't look like a kid playing one of their first games. He looks like he's been there for years. Uh, moving on then. Next up on Sunday, we had Chelsea 2, Brighton 3. Uh, Enzo Fernandez opened the scoring. Levi Colwell made it 2. Buenanote pulled one back. Connor Gallagher, captain for the day, got himself sent off just on the stroke of half time. But an Enzo Fernandez penalty after just horrendous defending from James Milner. And it is it is a stonewall penalty. And it should have been a red card. There's no attempt to play the ball. James Miller should have been sent off. Um, put Brighton three, or Chelsea three went up. Uh, Pe- Joe Pedro did pull one back in the 92nd minute, but it wasn't to be. That's a really poor result for Brighton, considering they played the entire second half against 10 men. A really, really poor result. Um, but a great result for Chelsea, obviously. Chelsea are still 10th, uh, 19 points. They're 10 points off top four. They can give up any ideas of top four. They're not good enough for top four this year. But potentially a a conference league spot will will come their way. Um, The team is starting to make a little bit more sense, although I didn't like the setup at the weekend. But again, they're dealing with injuries. Uh, For Brighton, they're eighth. They're just not very good at the moment. I mean, that's just the be all. They're playing well in Europe. They haven't been good in the Premier League. They've already conceded 26 goals. You've only got Fulham, Bournemouth, Luton, Burnley, and Sheffield United who've conceded 26 or more along with them. That's not the company you want to be in. Now, they're scoring for fun. They've scored 30 goals this season. You've only got Newcastle, Villa, City, and Liverpool have scored more. Like, they've scored more than Arsenal. But, they, they just can't defend. Like, Lewis Dunk's having a stinking season. He obviously missed the game at the weekend, suspended. Uh, Van Heck isn't very good. Steele isn't very good in goal. Uh, Igor hasn't done well so far this season. Webster's had a calamity of a year. The manager continues to play James Milner, despite the fact he's a liability whenever he's on the pitch. Veltman has taken a significant step backwards. Estupin has missed most of the season so far. There's there's mitigating circumstances. They obviously lost that outstanding defensive midfield presence in Moises Caicedo as well, which has been a big factor. And Beliba has been to be he's been inconsistent. He was outstanding against Liverpool, but he's been inconsistent since joining. I don't really understand the decision not to start Pascal Kraus. Now I know he's played in in, in the week, but 
if you're going to Chelsea, like you're going away to Chelsea and you're walking out there with Adam Lallana in your team. Like that's, that's you're playing Hinchelwood at left back. There's no left back at the club that could have played. You couldn't have played Gross there. He's played there at least in the past. I don't don't really understand what Deserby's doing strange things at the moment. And I, I'm there's there's things he's doing this season that are a little bit alarming to me. He's still a very good manager and the style of football is still great to watch. But there's things he's doing, decisions he's making that are a little bit alarming. Uh West Ham won, Crystal Palace won. Uh, Mohamed Kudus opened the scoring. Odson Edward missed a sitter and then was gifted an opportunity a couple of minutes later by um, Mavroponos. A scuffy shot. And I think it's one of those that went in because he scuffed it. I think the keeper saves it if he makes decent contact with it. But um, that Palace were, were really good value for the draw, I thought. I thought that was a very evenly balanced game. Um, and what it does is it leaves West Ham in ninth, 21 points. Palace are 12th, 16 points. Like this was the epitome of a mid-table clash. And they look like two sides that are very evenly matched. And that remember, that's a Palace side, missing Dekure, missing Eze. There's more to come from Palace, but I don't know if they'll get it under Roy. Roy is is absolutely holding this team back. There's no question. They're capable of a lot more, but Roy at least guarantees you a floor of survival, and that's kind of what's important to Crystal Palace right now. Uh, Bournemouth 2, Aston Villa 2. Bournemouth really unfortunate not to win this one. Uh, Semenyo put them one up. Leon Bailey equalised. Solanke made it 2-1, and it looked like they were going to hold out, and they had some decent chances to get a third. But a brilliant header from Ollie Watkins on 90 minutes after Moussa Diaby cross gave Villa a point, and Villa will be happy to get out of there with a point. Uh, Villa didn't play well. Villa aren't as good away from home, obviously, as at home, but they'll take that point and they'll go home happy enough. They stay top four. They're only a point behind Manchester City. I think if you'd said to a Villa fan 12 months ago, in 12 months, you'll be one point behind City. I guarantee you they would have replied, did they get 20 points deducted? Did all their good players leave? No, you're just a really good team now. It's as simple as that. You're a really good team. You're four points off top. You've been one of the best teams in the league for a year now. So congrats to Villa. Uh, It's a good point for Bournemouth against one of the better teams in the league. At home, yes, they would have liked to have won, but I think you take a point against one of those really good teams like Villa. And at some point, by the way, we're going to have to stop saying the big six and Newcastle because Villa are a better team than Newcastle right now. And they every single bit deserve to be in that conversation. A, they're a big club. B, they've got a really good manager. C, they've got really good players. And D, they've got really ambitious owners who are spending money, who will back their manager. Villa belong in that conversation. When the Premier League started, Villa were one of the big six. And through incompetence, more than anything else, they lost that status. But Villa are historically a huge club and deserve their flowers. If we're going to say the big six and Newcastle, let's just turn it into the big eight and include Newcastle and Villa. You know? Anyway, uh, Bournemouth, six points Above the relegation zone. People were writing them off. 
In the last five games, they've taken 10 points and they've turned things around. They're now level on points with Forest. They're two behind Fulham and Wolves. They're three behind Palace. I said I thought they'd be fine. I, I think they're going to be fine. I do think they're going to be fine. Iraola finally seems to have gotten the mixture right. They've still got really important players to come back from injury as well, remember. Like, they're missing a number of important players, most notably Tyler Adams and Alex Scott. When they get them back, they're going to be a decent team. I do think so. I do think they'll be a decent team. It wouldn't surprise me if they finished above at least one, if not a couple, of Forest, Fulham, Wolves and Crystal Palace. Uh, Moving on. Liverpool 4, Fulham 3. Um, the stupidest game of football of the weekend. Uh, Trent opens the scoring from a free kick. It's going to be given as a Leno own goal, but it's Trent's goal. Harry Wilson makes it 1-1 after Trent falls asleep defensively, but McAllister makes it 2-1 with a world-class strike. Kenny Tete makes it 2-2 after McAllister falls asleep defensively. Bobby D. Cordova-Reed makes it 3-2 to Fulham after Liverpool fall asleep defensively. Waturo Endo scores Liverpool's third incredible goal of the game on 87 to make it 3-3. And then Trent gets the winner on 88 with Liverpool's fourth outstanding goal of the game. Uh, Liverpool did dominate 26 shots, 12 on target to 9-5 and five from Fulham. They had 62% of the ball, but they were just... <laughs> there was no control, there was no discipline, there was no plan. This was very much go out and express yourself, lads. This looked like a team that maybe maybe had Frank Lampard in for a, coach, a, 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 a guest coaching spot. That might have been what happened. Liverpool might have just brought Frank in and said, look, Frank, you give them the instruction for this week. Right, lads, you're better than them. Go out there and express yourselves. And that's what they did. They went out and they ran around a little bit. Um, but they managed to win the game. And that's all that really matters. It keeps them in a strong position. They're second in the league, two points behind uh, Arsenal. They've played a harder run of games than Arsenal. They've got Arsenal coming downfield in a couple of weeks. So Liverpool are in really good nick. Uh, Fulham, they're hard They're hard to beat. They're a well-organised team. They're well-coached. I can't believe Liverpool allowed them to score three goals, but it is what it is. Uh, they'll score three goals a couple more times this season and they'll probably win those games. It's very, very rare you're going to have one team score four incredibly high degree of difficulty goals like Liverpool did in this game. So Fulham won't be too disheartened. Uh, Final game then, another stupid game. Manchester City 3, Tottenham 3. Youngman's son opens the scoring on six minutes after Jeremy Doku, I I, I guess, loses track of him. There's a long ball by Kulisewski. Doku looks like he's in prime position. Doesn't seem to realise Son is running around him. Uh, Son gets to the ball, somehow runs away from Doku, which is really strange, and finishes really well. Uh, three minutes later, Sun puts into his own net to make it 1-1. Then there's a lovely little bit of link-up play between Doku, Alvarez and Foden that ends up with Foden making it 2-1. But G- Giovanni Lascelso scores a lovely goal on 69 to make it 2-2. Then Jack Grealish scores a tap-in after nice work by City to make it uh, 3-2. And then, just because this game wasn't mental enough, um, cross into the box. Kyle Walker should probably do a little bit better with the cross. Nathan Aki gets caught underneath the cross. 
Kulisevsky comes in like a train, and it heads it onto his own shoulder, which loops it past Ederson, and it's 3 3. And then, because because Ange Postacoglu and Pep both hate draws, both sides are going for the win. Spurs leave themselves a little bit light at the back on a set piece. The ball gets cleared. Haaland gets fouled, gets back up. The ref seems to be signaling advantage. Haaland plays the ball over the top for Grealish. And the ref blows the whistle. Now, here's the thing. The defence was catching up to Grealish. And in all likelihood, Grealish is going to turn back rather than run straight for goal. Because he's not going to outpace them. He's probably going to try and draw a foul because that's basically what Jack Grealish does. But in the moment, it looks really bad. Now, for City fans and journalists trying to compare it to Liverpool having a perfectly fine goal ruled out through incompetence, it's nothing like that. And you were also the first group to just turn around and say, oh, it's part of the game, so just get on with it. So just get on with it. No sympathy from me. There is a lot of people, though, saying this City team, they're not a patch on last year's team. We're 14 games in, City of 30 points. They're three points off top. Last season, after 14 games, uh, City had 32 points. They were five points off top. So they're basically what they were the start of last season, but they don't have Gundogan. They don't have Kevin De Bruyne. They'll get KDB back, and I think they're going to be absolutely fine. I really do think they'll be absolutely fine. They've got a tough game coming up next away to Villa. That could potentially be four draws in a row. But again, we look back at last season and, you know, they had 30 points, 32 points before the World Cup, came back, they beat Leeds, then they drew at home with Everton, then they beat Chelsea, then they lost to United, they beat Spurs, they beat Wolves, then they lost to Spurs. So, you know, through... what was that? That's 21 games last season. City were struggling a little bit. You know, they weren't the same team as they had been previously. But then after that, City put together a run where they beat Villa, they beat Arsenal, they draw with Forest, and then they crack out 12 wins in a row because that's what they do. And they have the title wrapped up with a couple of games to go. That's what City do. That's why City will win the league again this season because at some point they're going to do this. They're going to put together a long run of wins because that's who they are. So City are third, three points off top. That won't bother them in the slightest. It's a good point for Spurs and it ends their three-game losing streak. Um, It also ends their three-game losing streak of scoring first. And then losing. And when Sun scored the opener, that was my first thought, was this is going to be four games in a row where they score first and lose. But credit to them. They do get the point, despite having no starting centre-backs, no Matar Sar, and no Madison. So four vital starters not in the team. And they go there and get a point. So that's really promising. Uh, They're two points behind Villa, three behind City, four behind Arsenal, six behind Spurs. Still very well positioned. And Ange is showing that he's a very, very good manager. Uh, we will take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the FA Cup draw, which was made over the weekend. And we're going to do the news and gossip. So I will see you 
in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, uh, at the weekend, the second round of the FA Cup took place. Uh, Shrewsbury Town 3, Notts County 2. If you haven't seen those goals, please, I beg you, go and look at those goals. That is some of the worst defending you'll ever see by one team from Notts County. All three goals are an abomination. Um, Ryan Bowman gets the hat-trick for Shrewsbury, taking advantage of the worst defensive display you'll ever see. Uh, Wigan beat York City 1-0. Maidstone United beat Barrow 2-1. Morecambe beat Wickham Wanderers uh, 2-0. Blackpool versus Forest Green was postponed. Cambridge United 4, Fleetwood Town 0. Bolton 5, Harrogate 1. Peterborough 2, Doncaster 1. Gillingham 2, Charlton Athletic 0. Stevenage 1, Port Vale 1. That game is to be replayed on the 12th. Uh, Newport against Barnet ended 1-1. That one is also to be replayed on the 12th. Oxford 2, Grimsby 0. Sutton United 3, Horsham 0. Sutton were meant to play Barnsley originally, but Barnsley were thrown out of the competition for fielding an ineligible player. So Horsham were, were allowed back in, but they've lost a second time. Uh, Eastleigh 2, Reading 1. So there's a bit of a giant killing. That is Conference League beating uh, L- League 1. Chesterfield 1, Leighton Orient 0. Aldershot 2, Stockport 2. That game will also be replayed on the 12th. And then Wrexham 3, Yeovil 0. So Wrexham through. Uh, we have one game today that is AFC Wimbledon against... Ramsgate, that game is tonight at 7.45. We have a game tomorrow, Alfronton Town against Walsall, 7.45 kickoff. And then Crewe and Bristol, which was postponed, is also on the 12th, as I assume will be the Blackpool Forest Green game. I assume that one will also be played on the 12th. So the draw was made and we have the following third round. Premier League Luton against League One Bolton Wanderers. League One Shrewsbury against League Two Wrexham. Premier League Arsenal versus Premier League Liverpool in what is undoubtedly the tie of the round. Championship Stoke at home to Premier League Brighton. Championship Norwich at home to either League Two Crew or League One Bristol Rovers. Premier League West Ham versus Championship Bristol City. Premier League versus Premier League again as we get Tottenham versus Burnley. Premier League Fulham against Championship Rotherham. Championship Rotherham will play either National League Aldershot or League 2 Stockport. Uh, Championship Southampton against either National League... Are they National League South? National League North, Alfrington Town or League 2 Walsall. League 2 AFC Wimbledon versus or uh, Isthmian League Southeast Division Ramsgate at home to Championship, the second place team, Ipswich. So that's a, a good draw for either of those teams in terms of bringing in a good team. You know, they'll get beaten, I'd imagine, but still, it's a bit of a glamour draw for them. Uh, League 1 Peterborough against Championship Leeds. Championship Millwall against Championship Leicester. Championship Watford against National League Chesterfield. This is a cracker. Championship Sunderland 
against Premier League Newcastle in the old Tyneweir Derby. So looking forward to that one. Uh, Championship Sheffield Wednesday versus Championship Cardiff. Premier League Crystal Palace versus Premier League Everton. Championship Aston Villa versus Premier League... Sorry, Championship Middlesbrough versus Premier League Aston Villa in the Garrett Southgate Derby. Um, Premier League Nottingham Forest against either League One Blackpool or League Two Forest Green Rovers. League One Wigan against Premier League Manchester United. Championship Blackburn against League One Cambridge. League Two Gillingham against Premier League Sheffield United. Championship Swansea against League Two Morecambe. Premier League Chelsea against Championship Preston North End. Championship QPR against Premier League Bournemouth. Um, Championship Coventry against League One Oxford. Championship Brentford against, sorry, Championship Brentford, Premier League Brentford against Premier League Wolves. Championship Plymouth against League Two Sutton. National League South Maidstone United against either League One Stevenage or League One Port Vale. League Two Newport or National League Barnet against National League Eastleigh. So that's a really good one. Potentially there, we're going to definitely have uh, a non-league side in League Two in the fourth round, and then uh, League Two. No, sorry, Championship League Two, Championship Hull against Championship Birmingham. So that should be a decent game as well. Um, obviously Liverpool versus Liverpool going to the Emirates to take on Arsenal is the tie of the round. But some other good ones there. I, I really like the the Tyneweir Derby. Uh, Palace Everton is a decent game. Borough Villa will be decent because Borough are home. All things considered, I think that's a it's a pretty good draw. Now I know Liverpool fans are a bit annoyed that you know, well, we got why do why why do we always get a tough draw? But like, you're going to have to play these teams at some point. Um, did I mention Premier League City against Championship? Huddersfield, I might have skipped that one. City always get an easy draw third round. So do United. That's just how it is. It, it just there's no point in complaining about it. I, I'm I'm all in on this competition thus far. I think this is going to be great. So I'm looking forward to it. If Liverpool lose, they lose. I still think they're going to win the Europa League. I still think they'll win the EFL Cup, and I still think they'll get second in the league. And if they do that, I'm going to be happy with the season. Like what's not to be happy about? Um, moving on then. So the BBC are the latest to report that Sheffield United are set to sack Heckenbottom. It hasn't happened as of time of recording, which is just gone four o'clock. So we'll wait and see. Um, there's people suggesting that Chris Wilder uh, would be an excellent appointment. Um, I don't think so. I really don't think so. Like Chris Wilder obviously did a very, very good job when he was there the first time. There's no question he did an outstanding job. But since leaving, he was very poor with Middlesbrough and he was a disaster with Watford. So I'm really not sure what logic there is into saying that him coming back is is a very good move. He hasn't done well since leaving. Now, maybe there's just there's a bit of magic at the club, but he's not going to have the same backroom staff because some of them have gone their own way. 
and he's it's a horrible situation to take over where they're bottom of the league and looking a little bit homeless. I mean, they're hopeless. They were bottom of the league and looking hopeless when he left. I don't really know. I don't really know. We'll we'll have to wait and see what they do. If they go with him, it just seems like it seems like a backward step to me. Anyway, let's move on and just get the gossip wrapped up. Juventus Ford Matthias Sula, who is currently on loan at Frozenone, is attracting interest from Premier League side Newcastle. Uh, the twenty-year-old Argentine is very, very highly regarded. He's a very good young player. Now, he can play up front, he can play wide, he can play in attacking midfield. I wonder would he play... You'd you'd imagine the likely role for him in a Newcastle team would be the Almiron role. That's probably the the best spot for him. I'd be... It'd be hard pressed to see Juve selling him, but the financial situation is not great. Manchester United could sell Jaden Sancho and Donny van der Beek to Juventus for just 26 million. No chance of that. So, Jim Radcliffe, who has yet to complete the deal to take over football operations at Manchester United, is already in discussions about the future of the club's on loan English forward, Mason Greenwood. And hopefully, that means he's going to ensure that United cut ties with Mason Greenwood and don't have that stain on their reputation anymore. Uh, some <clears throat> Everton players could seek compensation for the club from the club for loss of earnings if they're relegated following their 10-point deduction. Uh, that seems like nonsense to me. Uh, Jean-Claire Tadebo remains a candidate for a winter move to Manchester United. I don't know what that means. Atletico Madrid president Enrique Carrezo says Joe Felix will return to the club if Barcelona choose not to make his loan stay at the new Camp permanent. I don't think they can actually afford to do that at the moment, but we'll see what happens come summer. They might I, I could see a big sale at Barca in, in the coming kind of eight months. One of the next two windows. Manchester United's midfielder Kobe Manu will double his wages from ten thousand to twenty thousand should he become a premier should he become a regular it's actually if he plays, I think it's 16 or 17 games or something. It's a thing United have done for years. Then he does get his wages bumped. Um, Bayern Munich forward Thomas Muller has been linked to the move to Manchester United after being urged by Lothar Mateus to seek game time elsewhere. I think Thomas Muller might go to the MLS. I don't see him moving to Manchester United. Uh, but then this piece says Muller is likely to extend his contract with sporting director Christoph Freund pushing to get the new deal done. Marcus Alonso knows Barcelona will not extend his contract beyond the summer of 2024, and he could return to the Premier League or move to Saudi Arabia. I don't see him return to the Premier League because he's not very good. Nottingham Forest could face a January transfer embargo over late fees owed to agent, late payment fees uh, owed to agent. Wow. Um. I don't. I, I just don't believe that. To be fair, West Ham are set to have applied to have the London Stadium capacity expanded to sixty-eight thousand on match days, which would make it the second largest Premier League ground behind Old Trafford. Hmm. That seems strange. 
Let's have a look. Uh, da, 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 da. So as of this moment, the capacity is 62,500. There is a seated capacity of 66,000, but the regulated capacity is 62,500. Now, if we look at West Ham's gains... Uh, home to Chelsea, pretty full. Home to City, pretty full. Home to Sheffield United, to be fair. Yeah, to be fair, I mean, they're getting... They're getting basically capacity crowds every week. Like 20, 30 short of full capacity. But that's still really, really impressive that West Ham are drawing that type of crowd. Uh, last season, yeah, I mean, every single game is is 62,000 plus. Yeah, fair play. I genuinely didn't realise that. Right, let's see. Last season, they had the second highest attendance in the league. Now, they do have the second highest capacity in the league as things stand. Um, About 500, 400 and odd more than Spurs. But yeah, they are getting the numbers in. So fair play. They might as well extend it if they can. Good on West Ham. They got a lot of crap over this move. And to their credit, it's worked out. And I'm going to leave it there. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.